This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The Word of God today to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. 18th chapter of Jeremiah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we'll begin reading from verse 1, this very familiar portion of Scripture. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. The vessel that, was made of, that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's just stop there. God often spoke to and through the prophets in wordless parables, in sign sermons and visual illustrations. For example, Zechariah saw a man with a measuring tape going through Jerusalem measuring. He also saw a lampstand between two great olive trees. Ezekiel saw this great mighty wheel within a wheel whose top reached up to the heavens. Then he saw a valley of dry bones coming together. The apostle John in Revelation saw four horsemen. The first one he saw was white and had a bow and a crown and went forth conquering and to conquer. Second one he saw was red who had a great sword, speaking of war and destruction. Third horse, horse was black, which speaks of famine. He had a pair of scales in his hand. And the fourth horse was the pale horse, where death and hell followed, speaking of all of the death that would come through war and through trouble and through even wild beasts, it said. So all of these were, were signs, prophetic signs to the prophets. John saw God's judgments coming as seven seals being broken and seven trumpets being blown and seven bowls being poured out. All these had meaning. And among the many things that Jeremiah saw and heard and was asked to do as prophetic signs was this here we just read, to pay a visit to the potter's house. And this was a prophetic sign to him, to the nation, and, and it's specifically to the nation of Israel, although we'll see in a moment we want to apply it to ourselves. Jeremiah loved Israel, and he knew that God loved Israel. And like Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem also. Jeremiah was in despair. His nation was in a shambles. 
It was morally and spiritually corrupt. Jeremiah saw his once great nation drifting inexorably towards destruction and despair and disaster. And as it grew weaker, its enemies grew stronger and bolder against it. And defeat and captivity seemed inevitable. Recovery seemed impossible. Its wound was incurable. Its future hopeless. A terrible bleak picture was before him of his nation. But then God said, go to the potter's house. I have a message for you. I have a parable for you to see and hear. And this parable of the potter is not just for Israel and Jeremiah, although it is specifically, but more than that, it's for you and it's for me. It's for every man and it's for every woman, for anyone who thinks that their usefulness in life is over, that their wound is incurable, that their life is irredeemable. All of us are on the wheel of time. All of us are living clay. And all of us are subject to outside influences and pressures. And all of us are susceptible to inner weaknesses and failure. But yet, as long as we're on the wheel of time, and as long as we're living clay, and as long as we're still pliable and moldable, then the hand of the potter can make us again and again and again. So here are some lessons for living. First of all, God has got a vision. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got destiny. You're in his hands. You're being shaped and molded and made and patterned. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that the potter's hands is still upon you, that you're still on the wheel, that he hasn't finished with you yet? And God hadn't finished with Israel yet. There was still hope. There was still a chance. There was still an opportunity. He would make it again another vessel. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So God is constantly working in our lives, working on our lives, shaping, molding, making, patterning. Thank God for that. Amen. Aren't you glad he hasn't given up today? Hallelujah. And it could be that maybe you're in the position uh, where you feel that your usefulness is over, that your wound is incurable, that your life is irredeemable, but that's not true. God has still got a vision for your life. He's still got a plan for your life. In Hebrews chapter 13, let me just read... In verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. One of the great comforts of the gospel, one of the great comforts of the fact that Christ has saved us is the knowledge that he continually is shaping and molding our lives, making us into what he wants us to be. But we've got to remain pliable and moldable. We've got to be that living clay. We don't only come hard so that we have to be broken. We want to remain soft and willing for God to work in our lives. Are you willing for God to work in your life, what he wants to do? Let's not be stubborn and hard-headed and hard-hearted that God finds it very hard to mold and make us, but let's be soft and pliable so that the master potter can shape our lives the way he wants to do. Second lesson we have here that Failure need not be final. Failure need not be final. He made it again another vessel. Your failure doesn't have to finish you. Your flaw doesn't have to be your fate. If you have been marred, you can be mended. Amen? The little oyster on the seabed gets that little bit of grit and it comes into its soft flesh and it's painful and it's irritable but it secretes that beautiful luster over it until eventually it becomes a beautiful pearl until something good comes out of it. <coughs> Peter was an abject failure who I'm sure without any doubt in my mind that after his great failure I'm sure he felt that his life was irredeemable. How could he ever be forgiven for denying his master three times? How could the Lord ever trust him again? How could such an abject failure ever be useful again in the kingdom of God? All of those thoughts must have been running through his mind. He must have been at his lowest ebb. When the word came back from the empty tomb that Christ wanted to meet the disciples and Peter especially Peter. Failure need not be final. And even though he was an abject failure, and even though he was a coward, and even though he denied his Lord, and even though through fear and even unbelief he did such a terrible thing, yet in the mercy of God he was made again into another vessel. Hallelujah. And what a vessel. What a mighty man of God 
he became. He became the leader that God wanted him to be all along. But in his failure, in his abject misery, where he felt he could no longer play any part in God's kingdom, as he must have felt. And yet in spite of that, the Lord brought him around and completely and utterly forgave him and made him again into another vessel. I've told this story from the pulpit before, but it bears repeating. I remember when I read it at the start, I was so touched when I read it. In the 1980s, Jim Baker was uh, probably, arguably, the most famous televangelist in the world. Uh, the satellite had programs that were going 24 hours a day all over the world. All of the top preachers and all of the Christian celebrities, if you want to use that term, came to his program. He built this massive place that was going to be like a Christian Disney world. People could buy timeshares on it. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was done with absolute excellence. Uh, but then something happened. He fell in sin and committed adultery. And it hit the headlines. And then people who were buying timeshares began to withdraw their money. At that time, he had over two or 3,000 people on the payroll. And suddenly, within weeks, the whole thing began to implode. He was arrested. He was tried. And he was jailed for seven years. And while he was in jail, his wife divorced him and married his best friend. And he didn't blame her or he didn't blame anybody. In fact, he wrote a book afterwards saying, I was wrong. That was the title of the book, I was wrong. But he said he was in such a, a terrible low in the prison that for a period he told the, the warders, I don't want to see anybody, any visitors, nobody. I just don't want to speak to anybody. He said he hadn't shaved for days. He hadn't washed for days. He was in his pajamas. The warder came to his cell and says, Baker, there's a visitor at reception to see you. He said, I told you, sir, I don't want to see anybody. He says, I think you'll want to see this person. So he says, I wondered who that could be. So he says, I remember shuffling my way down to the reception. He says, I felt terrible. I was stinking. I was at my lowest ebb in my life. And he says, I walked into the reception. There was lots of people there. And he says, right in the middle, with his arms out like that towards me, was Billy Graham. And he says, he came over, and he gave me the biggest hug. <laughs> he says, I cried like a baby. He says, I was so broken that this famous man of God when everybody was down on me and they jailed me and I was at my lowest step, that he should come to the prison and hug me in front of everybody. Huh. He says, that saved my life. And then he says, I started to get out on parole. And he says, Billy Graham and his wife Ruth brought me to their church and brought me right up to the front to sit with them at the front. Huh. 
failure is not final. Of course, he's long out of prison now. And I'm doing very well. So yes. Failure doesn't have to be final. John Mark related to Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas was selected by the Holy Spirit to go out as missionary evangelists. And John Mark went as her assistant. And he did well for a while, and then he got to a certain place in Pamphylia where he decided, this is not for me. He went back to Jerusalem. Later on, much later on, Paul and Barnabas was going to go on a, another missionary journey, and Barnabas says, well, let's ring John Mark. And Paul says, no, no, don't want him. No second chance. Paul was a hard taskmaster. If I could paraphrase what he was saying as he failed us once, he's not going to fail us again. I have no time for that. He didn't make it. He's not up to scratch. And the contention became so great between them that they parted company. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. And what seemed a great failure, certainly in Paul's eyes, he was a failure. It's questionable. But in Paul's eyes, he was a failure. But if you read in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy. He wants him to come to him. He says, bring Luke with you. And Mark for he's useful to me for the ministry. Huh. Failure need not be final. God is away and lifting us up again and bringing us back Amen. and redeeming us. King David knew that, didn't he? King David failed a lot. <laughs> he really did. Bathsheba was a classic failure, wasn't it? Not only did he fail in adultery, but he compounded that by making sure his, her husband was set at the front of the battlefield so that he would die in battle. He failed terribly. He failed with his family. He did not handle Absalom, his son, very well at all. And it came back to haunt him. His son rebelled against him, wanted to kill him. He numbered Israel against the advice of his top general and all of his captains. He said, don't do this. Don't number Israel. But he persisted, and he did. And God chastised him severely for that. So he made lots of mistakes. He failed many times. But in the end, in spite of all of his failure, God called him a man after his own heart. And he was known as Israel's greatest king. There's nobody really irredeemable, is there? As long as we're, and we can humble ourselves in God's sight, he can redeem us. He can bring us back. He can lift us up.
Onesimus ran away from his master, met Paul in prison, got saved, and Paul sent him back. Paul says, he who was unprofitable has become profitable again. <laughs> that was a play on the word anesimus, which means profitable. Philemon, I know he stole from you. I know he did wrong. I know he deserves punished. But he's my son in the faith. And I'm sending him back to you better than he left you. And by the way, whatever he owes you, put it in my account. <laughs> Besides that, you owe me yourself. <laughs> uh, Paul was so diplomatic. <laughs> what could the man do? But he did go back better than he left. Because failure need not be final. And even though Israel had failed terribly, it didn't have to be final. All they had to do was humble themselves and repent and turn to the Lord. That's all they had to do. Third thing is God has got great patience. Great patience. He had great patience with Israel. He's great patience with us. He's got great patience with mankind. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, as these days, the last days that we're living in, as they go on and we see the terrible things that are happening, we, we should be praying, even so come Lord Jesus, but the Lord delays his return for the sake of those who could come into his kingdom. What patience. What patience. What patience he had with those bunch of disciples. <laughs> what a motley crew. We would not have chosen any of them if we had been in the Lord's position. But he chose every last one of them. And what patience he had with them. They were so slow to learn, weren't they? <laughs> Even though he told them time and time again what was going to happen, they just didn't get it. They were so dull of hearing. But he was patient. Could you not watch with me one hour? <laughs> Could you not even one, give me one hour of your time? But he was so patient. Do you know that he's called the God of patience? Romans 15, 15, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. How patient are you? How patient am I? Well, the big test of that is when we're out driving, isn't it? 
That sorts us out, doesn't it? You don't see the light changing. Beep. One second later, that person behind wants to shunt you. How patient are we? How patient are we with each other? Not very is the answer. But the master was so patient. He took so much time and effort to work in each life, didn't he? Could have dismissed them all as failures, but he didn't. He kept working and molding and shaping and making. Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so start at working in you. Be confident he'll complete the job. I'm really glad he's patient. For my sake. Because I've failed him so many times. I'm not going to tell you all what they were. Because you've got plenty of your own failures to consider. Without worrying about mine. But the reality is, he was patient. I look back on my early days as a believer and sometimes how bold I was to put people right on things that I had no right to do. I remember I was only saved. I mean, just days. I'd all been brought up in a Christian home, so I knew a lot. I thought I did anyway. Just saved days. And there was a lovely man I worked with. I worked with a number of Christian men, but there was this lovely man I worked with. A gentle man, in every sense of the word. And he was a Baptist. And I remember it was a night shift, and, and my pastor had been preaching about the Holy Spirit that Sunday morning and evening, and and, and I was filled with all this knowledge. And I ended work that night, and I tell you, I, I was just ready to offload onto somebody. I'm only a new believer, but I've got all this knowledge, you see. And I saw him in the distance coming towards me. And I thought, I'm going to go to Sam right away, and I'm going to tell him. Because I know he doesn't know about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what I'm thinking. I know he knows nothing about the Holy Spirit, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him. I'm going to tell him tonight. I'm just because I got all this knowledge, you see. And I remember as clearly, and I'm only saved. I remember as clearly taking one step towards him, and the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was as clear and as definite. I could not do it. And boy, I'm glad the Holy Spirit stopped me. Because I was ignorant. And it was only a long, long time later that we get into conversation and a lovely conversation about the very things that I was going to put him right about. <laughs> and he was such a gentleman. 
tell you the truth, I dare say, if I had went to him that night, he would have still have been a gentleman and would have given me a fool's pardon because I was only a new believer. But I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad the Holy Spirit stopped me. We need patience. God has got great patience. Colossians 1, 9, 11, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. <laughs> God is working all these things into our lives to make us more like him. And you know what? The longer I go on, the more I realize I have so much more I need to learn. I have so much more I need to learn. And just when you think you know it all, you realize you don't know as much as you thought you did. <laughs> he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good onto the potter to make. He knows how to make us, what to make us into. He's got a plan, he's got a vision, He's got a purpose. He's got a pattern. And all we've got to do is be pliable and yield and surrender and say, Lord, whatever it is you want to work in my life to make me into what you want me to be, I surrender to your will. And as we do that, then he works and he shapes and he molds. And we're all so different, aren't we? different temperaments, different personalities, different ways, but he can take each of us in our own way and he can make us into what he wants us to be. Not what somebody else wants us to be, but what he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray just for a moment. Lord, we just take these few moments in your presence. We come before you, Lord, with a, a spirit of submission. A spirit that says we only want to be what you want us to be. We don't want to be the captain of our own ship. They want you to take control and to make us and shape us. So, Lord, today we say yes to your will, yes to your purposes, yes to whatever way you choose to make us into that vessel, meet and fit for the Master's use. We thank you, Lord, that because of your patience, we are still on the wheel. You haven't given up on us. There's still opportunity yet. 
to be molded and made. And so we submit to you this morning. Yes. Lord, let your perfect will Amen. be worked out in our lives. Make us into the men and women that you want us to be. No more children tossed about, but men and women of God that you can use in your kingdom. So we do give you thanks. We praise you for your mercies. Thank you for your faithfulness. Bless you for your patience. Lord, keep working in my life. Never stop until we see you face to face. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.